welcome back. It's time for customers who click. Just before we get into today's episode, I'd like to ask a, a little favor. If you're listening to this, uh, just drop me a quick email to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn and just say hi. Uh, let me know what you're working on, what industry you're in and a bit about you. I'm just really keen to hear who my listeners are. So today's episode is obviously another amazing one. Uh, my guest is Blake M. Pearl, the head of partner community at Attentive. Attentive are an SMS marketing platform allowing brands to see really personalized messages as well as engage in two-way conversations with their customers. SMS is becoming a bigger and bigger channel every month. We're seeing huge growth, particularly in e-commerce, and I myself have experienced what this channel can do, having used it for years myself and and more recently actually tested out some conversational SMS with uh, one of my clients. We've got a great episode in store for you today, so without any further ado, let's get Blake on. Hi, Blake. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just quickly introducing yourself, give us a bit of your background and what you're up to at the moment? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks thanks for having me. Great to be on the show. So my name is Blake and Pearl. I had our partner community at Attentive. So my background really is in D2C e-commerce. Spent the first few years of my career really at an agency and at my own private consultancy, working with Shopify, Shopify Plus brands to build email and SMS programs. Worked my way up to be the head of retention and saw a lot of the do's and don'ts of email and SMS marketing and really how to scale those two things. So I sort of started as an email marketer. SMS was this new thing in like 2019 when I had heard about it and really started to go full send into it. I wouldn't say you could call me like, uh, you know, an early pioneer of SMS, but I definitely, I felt like was in it and own marketing channel that really wasn't getting a lot of love at the time. And so really being able to go into that and implement that with all the brands that I was working with really realized its opportunity um, around SMS and being more of a conversational channel. And so, you know, flash forward to about 2021, had an opportunity to go to Tone, which is a conversational SMS company. Had no intention of going to software, but you know, really, really saw an opportunity to help kind of shape the narrative around SMS a little bit more. And so came to the, the Tone team to lead growth. I was there for a few short months and then we were acquired by Attentive in June of 2021. So really, you know, coming full circle to where I was using the Attentive product day in and day out with a lot of the merchants that I was working with to now really being at a company, you know, that's really on the forefront of pioneering SMS. So. Right, right now, I'm really focused on our partnerships team and, and building out a partner community. And I do a lot of speaking, a lot of thought leadership, but also a lot of community programs as well with our various agency and technology partners. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, let's let's get straight into the, the SMS stuff then. What is the opportunity with SMS right now? I mean, like you said, kind of you kind of experienced it around 2019. I, I was doing SMS back in, I want to say about 2016 but it was very, very different back then. That was literally a case of exporting phone numbers from from the back end, uploading it into an SMS tool and just doing a a blast. Basically, there was no, unless you'd have to do the logic and and the segmenting on your side first um, and just do it all manually. But yeah, there's been a lot of change recently. Brands like Attentive have popped up, Clavio's uh, offering SMS as well. So yeah, what's the value and the opportunity with SMS? Sure. I think, you know, SMS has reached this new maturation phase as a channel. As, as you mentioned, you know, it's kind of come a long way from, you know, where a lot of there wasn't a lot of compliance around SMS and SMS is such a litigious space. And I'll touch on that a, a little bit later, but really to where we're at now, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like it's a new channel. I think in the last six years that we've, you know, really been here building this out at Attentive, but look, our, our customers, 
received over 18 billion messages in 2021. And I think one of the biggest observations that I, you know, had over this past year, really watching what's the opportunity right now, I think it's diversified use cases. You know, SMS at its core is that relationship building channel. And I really think it's important that you you view it as such and really focus on adding value to your merchant throughout the journey. You know, SMS has this sort of, you know, stigma, I think, of being a promotional sales channel. But I think that there's so, so much more that can be done through it. And yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you can drive a lot of revenue through SMS and you should be, but you should really be thinking about how to kind of enrich that customer experience along the way. And so I, I think one of the biggest opportunities right now is to integrate your SMS platform, regardless if you use Attentive or another platform, integrate it with your customer service platform, you know, ratings and reviews, loyalty, shipping updates, returns, all of these things. SMS is the perfect conduit for being able to really deliver those messages. You know, and I think with the opportunity as well, you're kind of looking at, you know, where things are at, you know, 97% of consumers want order updates via text. So that's like shipping updates post-purchase and 70% want customer service over SMS. So these numbers are continuing to grow, but it's really showing that the consumer is really understanding that, you know, a lot more can be done over text and they want those updates in addition to some of those maybe promotions that they're getting on, on exclusive deals. So I'd say those are some of the biggest opportunities that I see right now on the channel. Yeah. Like you say, I think traditionally it's kind of been seen as this, this channel, which I mean, in fact, when I was doing it, yeah, back in like 2016 sort of era, it probably was pretty much just a promotional channel. And partly because it wasn't really tied into anything. There weren't really that many integrations, I don't think, which meant even transactional was quite difficult to do because you couldn't just ping that uh, ping that SMS off quickly. But even now, it still seems to be the majority of brands doing SMS. It's either transactional messages, maybe your order is confirmed, also, but more so your order has been shipped. You know, we get a lot with kind of DPD, you know, the couriers here, you'll get one message which says uh, it's going to be, it's it's been shipped, it's going to be delivered on this day. Then, you know, maybe the day before you get the delivery slot of 9am till 7pm. And then normally on the day you get a one to two hour time slot. Sure. And those updates are fantastic because it's, it's literally the information I want to know. But then the other messages that come through are, here's a promotion. Here's a promotion. And I mean, for me, and I, I, put, I as a marketer, right, I put my phone number and email address into pretty much anything and just see what happens. I still only get promotional messages from kind of gambling companies, pizza and other takeaway companies. So like Just Eat, Papa John's, uh, Domino's, that, that sort of thing. And that's about it. There's one other SaaS company that does it and I can't stop them. It was really... <laughs> It's really annoying, but fortunately, the, the volume has dropped. There are not many brands that do anything else at the moment still. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, because when, when you look at, you know, really what SMS was meant to do and when why, you know, like, I mean, text has been around since 1992, I think is like when the first text was sent, actually was sent in the UK too, funny enough. But what, what's crazy to think about is it started as a communication channel to, to really, you know, I think go back and forth with just people that you were connected with. And so, you know, like a lot of the abuse that I think has happened over, over, over time has been this one way, you know, just blast, 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 blast. Let's just get sales in the door. 
And, you know, I, I think as we've sort of developed this channel to be a little bit more with, with tools, you know, to be able to understand and, and segment and, and really have good data on customers and be more personalized and targeted, we can do a lot more with it. And it's actually not as much effort, I think, as marketers might think it, it needs to be. I mean, I think that the, the tendency is to go, okay, well, if it's easier to send one, you know, big uh, batch and blast send to my entire list rather than think about, you know, maybe I have different customer buckets and things that matter. So, you know, I, I think it's more so the mindset shift of the marketer and the onus, I think, being on that brand or marketer really to understand how to use the channel effectively to really create some of those moments. Because to your point, too, I think like when I get some of those promotional texts, I'm opting out, you know, immediately if it's just consistent, you know, promotion day after day after day. I commented on LinkedIn post just before we jumped on this, actually. And it surprised me that you mentioned you spent some like 32 minutes in a day in your in your actual SMS app, the mm. like the actual native iPhone message app. And it really surprised me because I almost never use it. It's literally used for the transactional stuff. And you know, if I need to hire a, a builder or someone, they normally, you know, I, I go onto a website like mybuilder.com or whatever, and then they can contact me via SMS. But otherwise I use WhatsApp. And I know it's the same for a lot of my friends. It's like the the actual message app on the phone for us has just become that kind of almost like the spam inbox, right? I'm not expecting too much good quality stuff in there. I just get those odd um, uh, delivery notifications and things. But otherwise my, my conversations are all done through WhatsApp now. Really, really interesting, I think, point because, you know, I think, you know, you look at consumer trends and then and the states here and like iMessage, if you're an Android, if you're using their messaging app, you know, like we use those native phone apps for messaging. But I know like a large majority of the world, you know, does use WhatsApp for predominantly, you know, human to human communication. And so, you know, I think it's, it's sort of a mindset shift, I think, that's happening, you know, and, and we recently launched in the UK just a few months back. And, and, you know, we're really excited about the opportunity to really show best in class SMS to merchants, to brands and really change, I think, the consumer experience that's you know historically been to your point. I mean, you you might go in the iMessage app and it's just, you know, straight, you know, spam and a text that you don't want to be getting. And so I think it's, it's a little bit of a mindset shift. And it's something that we've been pioneering here for the last, you know, several years at Attentive is really kind of showing what best in class SMS practices look like. And really, you know, helping to coach and kind of take our brands along that journey. But I, I think when you look at the consumer behavior changes, they're definitely, um, you know, very clear cut on how, you know, different, different geographies engage with messaging apps. Yeah, because so what would your your kind of top tips and that best practice be? What's yeah, if you can maybe give I don't want to put a number on it like five tips, but yeah, what would these yeah. uh, those those key things be? Sure. So I I think from a, you know from a brand if we're, if we're talking an e commerce perspective, I think there's like four things that I would point out to. You know, there's a litany of things that I could mention, and, and you know, I, I, I would recommend you know go to our website at tenemobile.com to get more more of this. But if you, I had to tell you Blake's top four tips, it would be one: invest in conversational commerce now. We really believe as a company that you know conversational commerce is going to be a theme of the 2020s, and it's why we've invested so much into conversational commerce. 
with things like the Tone acquisition to build a tent of concierge, which is actually a managed service where we'd have that one-to-one human connection on behalf of brands, but we do that in real time at scale. So that's a huge piece of conversational commerce. And, and maybe I should back up a second and actually just define conversational commerce too, just for folks that maybe, yeah. like, kind of maybe want to understand that. We really just define that as human powered, you know, communication, you know, really between, you know, like one person to another that results in some point of commerce, if that's a sale, if that's interest to come to a site, whatever that looks like. But it's really just think of it as human communication. That, that's what I think of as conversational commerce at its core. And so I, I think really best practice looks like from conversational commerce is really investing in, in the, what I think are the three pillars of conversational commerce. So I think, you know, when you look at your automated messages, if those are some of the behavioral messages that you're sending to leverage more conversational points to be able to uh, do what we call two-way journeys. So actually letting the customer text back and forth with you and you can automate all of this, but it feels more human. You're getting at the end result. So Will, if you're texting, you know, with, you know, maybe a, a, a men's clothing brand, you're trying to understand you know, what shirt is going to fit you. And you're going down this kind of conversational journey. You're asking you, you know, sizing questions, you know, preferences, and you arrive at this ultimate kind of point of recommendation. Um, that's a huge piece of what we see, you know, driving a lot of great uh, engagement on SMS. If you offer customer service, you know, that's another quick, you know, no brainer, I think, as far as conversational commerce is concerned. And then, as I mentioned, attentive concierge. And I think to put a bow on all this and why I believe conversational commerce matters, probably should have started at the onset of this. But actually, what we're seeing is that consumers spend about 31% more on average when they engage in conversational SMS. And they're more likely to come back and buy again. This is across a lot of data that we have at Attentive. And, you know, really this shows that, you know, once you get in that conversation, consumers open up, they feel heard. They feel like you're actually trying to, you know, really help them to understand, you know, what is it that maybe they're interested in buying today or what they might need. If they're reaching out for buying questions, customer service, you know, whatever that is, you're really building a relationship. So I think that that's like my top tip above everything else. But then I think yeah. some quicker wins. Um, so yeah, just to to add to that, yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've done some conversational SMS with a with a client before, and it worked really well. We used it for abandoned carts, and initially, when it got set up, I wasn't too happy with the setup because they offered a discount code straight away, and I was like, well, obviously, loads of people are just going to say yes to a discount code and, and get ten percent off. So I, I took that out and made them ask, you know, what. It was something like, what is the number one reason you didn't make your purchase today? It wasn't like that. It was it was better. It was more conversational. And then we knew there were about four or five different responses that, that seemed quite common. And so we came up with the responses to those. So if someone mentioned shipping costs as an issue, we would say, oh, well, you know, you can buy the the bundle instead. And that bundle consists of this product with the two complementary products that go with it. And that's going to be this price, which is uh, which you'll get free shipping with, and and that, like you say, that you know people spend more, right? So a lot of people actually took us up on that offer and, and chose the upgrade bundle because it made sense product wise anyway. So it's possible they just hadn't seen it on the website, but also people don't like free ship. Uh, people don't like spending on shipping. Sure. So if you can offer them something that makes sense to them and they don't have to pay for shipping, why wouldn't they take it? And then there were a couple other things we had. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but yeah, three or four different responses around you know the benefits of the product and basically trying to sell them on it. And then 
if they didn't, I think we then did offer them a discount at the end, um, which worked okay. But we still had a about a between a fifteen to twenty percent conversion rate on abandoned cards by having that that conversation with people first. That's incredibly fascinating, and I think you bring up a good point that I I actually have seen as well. Is you know when you actually open up on a, like an abandoned cart message and you use that conversational approach, you're giving the customer the ability to actually you know engage and really break down some of those buying objections. If it is shipping, if it is you know you know just general product questions that they might have, and actually educating them. A lot of times I feel like a consumer might not even want to go onto a live chat widget on site or, you know, call a customer support number. But if they can do it over text, it feels natural that that conversation lives in their pocket. So if you're going to go for a jog and you don't want to have to sit on hold and you come back, you can continue to have the conversation and really crush that buying objection, I think. So, that's, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I, I, I'm a big fan of live chat, but yeah, you're right. You have to sit at your computer. You've got to almost like keep an eye on that tab because also they time you out, yeah. right? You know, agents can only have, I don't know, like two conversations going on, maybe three at a time. You know, they just can't handle more, which means, yeah, if you're not being responsive, they just have to end it and move on to another one. I had an interesting interaction with a brand who offered, you know, the conversational SMS through WhatsApp, which I thought was great, right? That was like, that's the, it's the app I use. That's kind of perfect for me. Let's see what this experience is like. And they pretty much treated it the same as live chat. I was given something like five minutes kind of downtime or, you know, a five minute pause. And then I'd get the message saying, oh, it doesn't look like you're here to restart this conversation at a later time, send a message or go back to the website or something. And when I did that, it literally restarted the conversation. Yeah. So the new, the new person to engage had no idea um, what was going on. So I don't know if that's a limitation with whatever tool they were using to do that or if they just literally hadn't thought of it and they'd just gone right this is how live chat works let's do that on whatsapp it's it's mind-blowing because i think i had a similar experience i was trying to book a trip to the uk and uh i had speaking with a travel agent the other day and i got kicked out so many times on that live chat widget but i, I what i think is really you know on the flip side of that where you can have a good experience is when you integrate SMS with like a help desk. So if you're using a help desk to have a conversation, all that data lives in that help desk. So like Gorgeous, for example, you have all this data on the customer, the conversations live there. There's no disconnect, I think, when you're having that conversation with an agent. Um, or also like if, if anyone's had the experience of experiencing an attentive concierge conversation where like that's actually similar to kind of a customer service um, Kind of situation if, if you were speaking you know with someone and trying to get that live chat help to be able to have that conversation in real time and see like what that experience looks like versus a live chat you know where like they maybe you get kicked out multiple times or they don't have data on you and it's it's a night and day difference and I, i'm actually really excited to see as we go into the 2020s as more consumers get in, embedded in those kind of types of concierge conversations you know general customer service over sms how that narrative is going to change. I think looking back in about five to 10 years, really, I, th I think we're at a huge kind of inflection point of how brands communicate with their customers. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. Like you say, you get timed out in live chat and sometimes, you know, it's, it's not really your fault. You know, the agent might be the one who spends five, 10 minutes investigating the problem. Sure. And in that time, you're like, well, I can't just sit here. I'm not just going to sit and watch a live chat for, for 10 minutes. So you put it to the side or or you minimize that tab or something. And if it hasn't got a sound notification or anything, you miss it. And then 
whatever they're like two, three minutes later, they go, yep, sorry, that's, that's it. The worst actually I had was a, a company where there, maybe it's a technical issue that that pause time only it was, it was based on when my last message was and ignored anything else. So even when the agent responded and said, oh, I, I need to go off and let, let me go investigate this. If they didn't respond for three, four minutes, I'd then get the message saying this conversation is going to time out. Wow. So I'm sat there going, well, I feel rude <laughs> putting another message in because the guy said, wait for like, just wait a minute. But I'm also need to avoid the conversation timing out. So yeah. yeah, there are there are downsides to live chat as well, but which you just you don't get an SMS because the expectation there is you're not sat there waiting. You send an SMS when the next one comes in, whenever it comes in, you just get back to it. Yeah. And I think that that's the beauty of it. But I, I will say too, you know, you know, like you were talking about the expectation on live chat and that's, it's almost untenable for, for brands to be able to live up to that. You know, you're expecting a one minute or less reply and that agent is probably working with like three to five tickets at any given time. You know, there are multiple tabs trying to have that conversation. And so like, I think there's a bit of a, you know, kind of a, a disparage, I think, between that and really, you know, as we look to, you know, how can we get better and better on a channel like SMS to deliver, you know, three minute or last two minute or less replies, I think that that's really where, you know, we're going to need the help of AI with, with some of these kind of additional, you know, tools that we can leverage, like what we're building with concierge right now is it really a service that's going to let us reply in three minutes or less to every text. And that is an amazing, you know, thought is that you could have that conversation that lives in your pocket, but you're also just going about your day, but it also can be fast if you want it to be too. So I think giving you the choice to kind of have it on your terms, I think I think we're still in the very early stages of kind of that experience over SMS. Yeah, I suppose logistically, it must be a bit, a little bit difficult for you guys to to figure out how that's going to work. But yeah, for the customer, that's, that's fantastic. You know, if the company responds to me within three minutes, and I happen to be doing something else and I know I can just leave it, then I can just leave it until I, I'm ready to deal with it. Yeah. Cool. Other tips? For sure. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, these aren't as long as the conversational piece, but I think they're really <laughs> important. I think, you know, have a smart segmentation strategy and, and both your campaigns and your automations. You know, as we mentioned earlier, Batch and Blast is not the way. We've come a long way in how we build segments and SMS, you know, whatever tool you're using, really leverage it to your advantage and think about, you know, the different points that make up great customer segments. And then also you can additionally, not only in campaigns can you segment, but you can segment on your automations too. So if you have a an abandoned cart flow and you want to segment, even at the most basic level, returning versus a first time customer, or you want to segment on someone with a high cart value versus a low cart value, specific carts, products in their cart, like, you know, these are just a few examples, but like be more intentional with your segmentation strategy and then use that segmentation and really think about the messages that you want to send to those segments. It goes a long way, I think, in really generating higher ROI, but also just a higher response rate. And that's customers want to feel heard at the end of the day. I was going to say, it's, uh, it's the same as email, isn't it? Yep. With email, you'd be setting up these segments. You'd be really thinking about what message should each person receive. You know, you want to be almost as one-to-one as possible without, you know, overdoing it and, and kind of wasting effort, I suppose. But those those segments are so important. So if you if you're going to spend all that time doing it with your with the email side of marketing automation, you know, why wouldn't you do it with the SMS? Which 100%. is actually, you know, even more kind of intimate and intrusive channel. So 
you're actually more much more likely to to piss people off and and get people to unsubscribe with irrelevant messages on sms as you are with email definitely and i, I think you know i i came up as an email marketer and i saw a lot of similarities in how you approach sms uh, so i think there's some, definitely some some critical things to bring over to sms but then i think also there are some there's some mindset shifts i think in how you approach sms versus email and that's maybe another conversation but i, I think you know if, if you're a good email marketer you understand email marketing i think at its core i think you'll definitely see the inherent value in some of those things with segmentation on, on sms too yeah absolutely yeah i think the the next one i would recommend is really you know similar we're talking about automations here but really invest in your automations you know, a lot of people neglect automations and they think that, you know, campaigns are the only way to generate sales on SMS. But actually, automations, I'd argue, are a better way to do this because they're behaviorally triggered. They're fed off of first party data or, you know, different inputs that you might have to trigger those messages. These are the ones that are going to get your 30 plus percent click fee rates, your 25x plus ROIs, you know, just because they, they, they speak directly to an intent that a customer took. So, you know, you can have your core four, you know, your browse abandonment, cart abandonment, welcome series, post purchase, but you can do a lot more than that too. You can do, I think about win back, maybe you're, you're, you know, integrating with different, you know, tools. So if you have like a loyalty, you know, journey, a reviews journey, like there's a lot of different things you can do on SMS. So I'd really, really think about that and make that a part of your strategy. And then speaking of integrations, you just integrate everything together if you can. You know, really, this is meant to be a connected channel. SMS should not be off on its own little island. And so think about the different touch points that you have in your journey and really try to use SMS as that conduit. As I mentioned, you know, getting that high open rate up to 99% open rate on text and 30 plus percent click through rate. Like you should really be thinking about how all of your different, you know, tools communicate and maybe go through SMS in addition to what you're doing on email as well. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think one one thing that we that I did test out uh, when I was back in house actually, we used SMS a lot in gambling. Well, like like I mentioned, that <laughs> I get a lot of gambling messages. We we tended to do uh, like email first to to filter out you know a load of people, and then people who didn't really respond to that would get the SMS, and then people who then haven't converted would then get the next email, and so we'd kind of use them as almost uh, you know just in a sequence but we'd have sms later in it so that uh, partly for cost you know when you're sending a million sms you know it's it's reasonably expensive i'm not sure what the cost is in the us in the uk i think it's about 0.19 pence or one 1.9 pence some of that but when you send a million of them you know you get a bill and that's actually something to consider for other countries as well what what my team wasn't aware of was that in spain not only was the cost double but you got half the character rate. So actually, if we were sending the same messages in the UK, we were paying uh, four times, which got me into a little bit of trouble with the uh, the Spanish country manager once. But yeah, so that's that's how I've been using it in the past. You know, not not thinking about SMS just on its own and how I can use SMS more. Has it support email? But I think there's probably an argument to say, well, you know, meet consumers where they are, try and find out what their preference for a channel is. I think it's interesting, you know, orchestration is such a, 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 a I think, a, a hot topic on SMS and how you coordinate with email. Did a really interesting panel last year on SMS plus email with the, with a few of our partners over at Sale Through and Tenuity. And we talked a lot about this and really like, how do you think about 
how to best orchestrate or, you know, is it SMS first? Is it email first? And I think, yeah, there's definitely two schools of thought. It's the, well, meet consumers where they are on their preference channel. And that's great. If you have a CDP integration, definitely like a customer data platform integration, that's going to actually tell you a lot of great information about, you know, where to engage first or second. But additionally, you know, think about this in your general strategy. So if you're like, if you're an email first brand, you know, leverage email on some of those higher, maybe educational touch points, and then use text to stay top of mind or re-engage with LAPS customers, or, you know, maybe it's that VIP channel. I think it can kind of depend on the, the overall intent of, you know, how you're using it from a marketing perspective. But I will say, if you have the luxury of doing it, a customer data platform integration it is like your best friend, I think, when it comes to really understanding a lot more of affinities to, to the not only SMS and email, but other channels that you might be using as well, like push, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Again, so I, I, when GDPR hit here, I was, I was working in gambling at the time and the, the machine learning and everything they do in the background is just, it's ridiculous there. I had never come across this sort of stuff. So most of it was to do with valuing players. So within their first couple of days of, of gambling, trying to put a potential value on them so that we could then segment them for communications. But also we started to look at things like, like preference for, for communications. So which channel did they actually sign up with? Because after, after GDPR, we had to opt people into each individually. Sure. So if someone selected, I want SMS, but not email, that's obviously a pretty good indicator that they want SMS first. And then we, we ran a few campaigns and things around trying to get people to opt in. So we'd do, we had a few messages like, you know, people, members who were opted into SMS receive 200% more bonuses and we'd see what impact that has. And that was generally a bit of a, a strong, again, like a strong indicator that they would like to receive SMS if they did opt into then. But then if we incentivized it, so we'd give people like free spins on a slot machine, that tended not to have quite as big an impact. So people, people would basically opt in, get the free spins, and then either not be very responsive on those channels or opt out pretty quickly afterwards. Sure. It's interesting. I think when you, when you said that too, that, that made me think about, you know, sort of the, the incentive to get someone to opt in. And then what's that experience like once they opt in? You, I, I just did a podcast with Ben from Privy and we were talking about like the first text and how important that is and, and driving, you know, not a one and done kind of behavior on SMS or even you know any channel really, but looking at how you frame that expectation and once they sign up, like what's that experience look like? And are you actually educating them on maybe some of the value of staying on that SMS channel, for example? So if it's just a coupon, they're going to get it. Great. You know, maybe they make a purchase, you make some money, but they might opt out. If you're thinking more long term, maybe you want to kind of drive some more value on that channel. If it's, you know, using some of the different features or, you know, even just telling them, hey, this is a customer service channel. Like if you offer that and letting them know if they can text back in to kind of get those things, definitely different use cases. I don't, I don't know if it applies as much maybe in gambling, but I think, you know, from an e-commerce perspective, like it definitely, we see that the more that you can educate and kind of help to draw the value in, folks tend to stay a, a little bit longer on those lists. Yeah, there's, there's no educational piece in gambling. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty transactional industry. Sure. But yeah, the, the other brands I've worked for, definitely. There's, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of educating people as to why they should actually opt into this channel and, and get long-term value from it rather than just saying, here's a little incentive 
if you opt in. I was talking to someone about subscriptions earlier. It's actually a new client about subscriptions earlier and how so many brands do a you know subscribe and save. So if you subscribe to the offering, you get 10, 20, whatever you know, percent off. And now so many people subscribe, get that basically get the 20% off for that first month and then cancel mm-hmm. because they they just wanted to buy it once, probably try it out. So admittedly, you know, if it, when you look at it that way and say, well, these people are trialists, right? They're taking the 20% off because they want to de-risk a little bit. How do you then educate them, them properly? But you do see a lot of people who just, you know, buy it once and then cancel and that's it. And I think you you get the same effect if you incentivize people opting into these channels. You basically, you know, I mean, I know, but I'm I'm a marketer, so it's maybe it's a bit different. I know I can opt into my, to phone number to SMS, get that discount, use that discount, opt out, probably probably within about an hour or so, and just get it all done, and then I'm fine. And I imagine a lot of people do know the same as well. Yeah, I, I remember. It's funny because you know, us as marketers, I think we're a little more savvy into some of these tips and tricks of how to get you know the maximum discount and. I remember there was a time where, you know, you could get on an, an abandoned cart email. Brands still do this, you know, where you can get on an abandoned cart flow. Maybe you have a 10% off and you know that they're going to hit you with a 20% off if you wait like two days. Yeah. And so like, I definitely think this discount culture that has been, I think we're changing. I think we're getting a lot more education, but I know that this will always be a, a commonplace in, in, in e-com, you know, as margins can allow. But it's interesting because, you know, like the discount strategy was such such a you know prevalent thing, I think, in the late 2010s and, and, and even in 2020, 21, you know, I, I'm seeing a little bit different landscape now. But I know that this discount, discount culture is definitely, you know, a huge sticking point, I think, for brands top line, you know, also. And I know that, you know, I was I was you talking the other day with I think it was um was at Adam Kitchen and we were, we were talking about this too and kind of like the, the discount dependency. I mean, it's really interesting, you know, how, how this all kind of is playing out, but I, I definitely think there's a better way forward. And I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on that too, but it's definitely an interesting sort of uh, problem. I think that a lot of brands are starting to kind of tackle. Yeah. I mean, I, I could go on about discounts for, for days. I mean, it, essentially it comes down to a bit of lazy marketing really, or, sure. or lazy, not very good marketing. They it's companies who don't know how to do it better and and resort to to discounting and also probably yeah brands who have seen it happen before you know they've experienced it themselves and so when they've set it up they've gone okay well that's i i, I liked i liked it because i liked it as a consumer this is what we should do as well yeah i was consulting for for a brand i i won't i won't say names but it was probably one of the worst experiences i've ever had the, oh, the, the founder wanted to discount everything at 50% off. Like it was just a flat 50% off. Everything was, was, you know, discounted and can only imagine, you know, I mean, I was biting my teeth. It was a, it was a paycheck at the end of the day for me. So I, you know, I definitely was trying to do what I could, but sometimes you can't, you know, change mindsets and can only imagine from, you know, a consumer standpoint, how that must've felt, you know, coming to a site and everything's just 50% off forever. And, and how does that look to you know your brand equity are you creating the behavior that you want and and i think you know discounts really create behaviors that you know like you have to be okay with that behavior you're creating at the end of the day and if you're just a discount brand you're going to get discount shoppers and you're not going to get maybe folks staying you know for the long term so i know there's exceptions to the rules within all of this but i think generally looking at it that's that's kind of how i always i've seen it 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I think some of it does come down to, to sales and cash flow as well. You know, if, if you if you're a brand that's been dependent, I don't know we've gone off topic as well, but yeah, if you're a brand that's been a bit dependent on on discounts, you see those sales coming in. Every time you send send an email out, you see that nice bump in sales and you think, great, got loads of money coming in. Yeah. So it's really scary to say, let's not do discounts or let's let's try and cut back and, and even try and scale it down. You know, on the that Thursday or wherever you send your email and you don't get as big a bump in sales, you know, can be a bit uh, concerning. But I spoke to one of the first episodes, actually. I spoke with Parry, Parry from uh, Frazy, an AI copywriting tool. And he said that one of their clients used to discount in their emails every single week, you know, 40% off, 30, 40% off, like crafting equipment, uh, like hobby, like crafting hobby stuff. And he said there the AI tool actually kind of basically told them people didn't care about the discounts because when it started testing subject lines that weren't discount related, they were, they were getting good, if not better open rates and people were still buying and the performance on those emails were great. So they fortunately were able to pretty much just switch off discounts and, and move to more content education led piece. And, and that did really well for them. But, you know, I, I can understand why it's a bit of a leap of faith when you, when you have to first make that decision. That's super fascinating. And I think, yeah, ripping that Band-Aid off is, is always a tough one at first to, to, to really go out into the uncharted water. But to your point, I mean, that's that's definitely showing, I think, that, you know, consumers will engage even without a discount if, if there's a really good story to be told or just something that really catches their eye and engages them. Yeah, I mean, if, if they like the products, right? Yep. If they, if they like the products, if they see how the products are going to help them, then then they'll pay for it. Cool. So, can you just would you be able to tell us about some of the like kind of results you're seeing with brands on the, on yeah, the conversational side? Absolutely. So, you know, we're seeing about a 42 percent response rate on two-way automated messaging on that first message sent. So, I think this is a really important stat to just take a second on. Is that I can't think of another direct response marketing channel that is seeing 42 percent of the consumers responding to that first message. You know, that's an email marketer's dream to send an email and 42% of people respond to that initial email. And I mean, so they, email mar- I think email marketers would be, ha- would be happy with 42% open. Absolutely. You know, I mean, and so I, I think it's really important just to, just to keep that in mind is that conversational text engages people at the end of the day. It starts the conversation and it really can help you to obtain a lot of data on a customer. You know, we all, we live in this, you know, zero party, first party data world now, and we need more data on customers. And so thinking of conversations as a way to extrapolate data and getting that insane, you know, first response rate, if you can create a really compelling journey, you can see, you know, completion rates, you know, a a really substantial amount. So that's something to keep in mind. I mentioned already, but, you know, 31% more spend when they engage in conversational text. That's really important to keep in mind. Not only are we getting data, building relationships, we're driving a lot of revenue too. So is that um, is that kind of related to what I mentioned earlier about upgrades? So is it they've, I don't know, abandoned a cart or whatever, and they're actually decided then to spend more money? Yep, exactly. And when I was at Tone, you know, we, we this is before we, we were acquired, you know, we were doing a lot of upsells with with customers. You know, they might have abandoned their cart and been like, hey, I didn't even know you had a bundle on this product, or hey, like, you know, what recommendations do you have? And trusting us as the expert really helped us to drive, yeah, that additional upsell value. So definitely a lot of opportunity there. And then I also think another piece of this too is just like 
when you build a relationship with somebody, if you like somebody, you know, like you like the brand, you're going to probably come back and shop again because you had a great experience over conversational text. So I think there's some maybe less attributable, but also like you can definitely see that influence that's going to happen over time as you really continue to build a positive brand experience. You know, like if you have that terrible live chat experience versus a great SMS conversational experience for customer support, I think it's a night, a night and day difference, really. Well, uh, after a while, you, you will see these things pop up in reviews. Someone's going to mention it and it's slightly different, but one of my clients, we, we put a QR code in their, in their products and the QR code links to a page which tells them how to set up their PC. Uh, these, are, these are custom PCs. You know, it, it didn't really cost much, so they were fine to do it anyway and just see what happened. But eventually a five-star review came in and pretty much the only thing the review mentioned was it came with this QR code, which took them to a page, which told them how to set up the PC, how to maintain it, and loads of other information. He said it was great. And another example, um, we used to sign off the marketing emails from a person. So we, we used to write them as if they were from a person, right? So it was, this was for a car club, a bit like Zipcar. But on the, the weekly emails, like kind of promotion emails, we'd be saying, hi, my name's, I can't remember what it was now. I don't know, Laura or something, you know, and it would be like almost like kind of a blog post sort of sort of thing. It'd be, you know, we've got the weekend coming up. It's supposed to be a nice sunny one. Here are some places you could go to if you rent a car sort of thing. And then it always signed off by that person. And we were getting people who would email in or, or even call into customer service to ask to speak to her because they, they had kind of built that relationship with her. And that's kind of when I realized we should, probably shouldn't put a fake name behind it. <laughs> but it's, it's that sort of thing, right? People start to recognize that and, and you get those little hints that people are paying attention. I love that. Yeah, that's that's a similar story to what we see here at Attentive. You know, like we we see folks, and this, this is even going back to tone too, is like if, if it was like Sarah from, you know, like XYZ brand, you know, and like Sarah is the only one texting you, people would be like, hey, can I talk to Sarah? Like Sarah's awesome. Like in the reviews, they're like, Sarah was a great customer support agent. And it's like, those are, it's, it's, it's insane when you add a human component to marketing, what it does. And think like for a while, like we eliminated human. It was like, you know, just beautiful emails, but you know, sometimes like, you know, those are great, but like at the end of the day, like, a human, you know, driven message is always going to elicit a response, I think. And yeah. that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of, unless you've got anything else to add, that's probably quite a good point to end it on really that, that human, that human element to it and, and adding it back in, like you say, you know, so many brands send out emails, which are basically just HTML. They, they look nice, but essentially they are just, here's a few products we'd like to sell to you. Yeah. But when you start introducing that that human element, it it opens up so many doors. And I think I'll end with this. You know, I spent five years as an email marketer and SMS marketer before you know coming to software. I spent hours building beautiful emails and analyzing and really breaking things down. And you know, and, and this is no knock to that because I think that all has a place. But the best email I ever sent that drove you know a significant amount of money was literally a three sentence email. From, from an actual person to say, hey, you know, like we have this sale going on, was thinking about you, take advantage of it. And that email was the best performing email I ever sent. And I think a lot of that was because I felt like it was a human sending that email. It was personal and it wasn't, you know, this massive, you know, just, you know, wall of imagery, which I think a lot of 
merchants are getting used to seeing. And so I think like to take that back a step is like human one-to-one connection, you know, over whatever marketing channel it is can often be the difference between, you know, really capturing a customer and not. So I, I think this, it has a place in marketing. It's not the replacement, but I think it's something to really keep in mind in your strategy and really being well-rounded and think about communicating and building relationships. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's one brand whose emails are open almost every time. And it's and those emails are almost all plain text written by it's the wine guy at uh, Naked Wines. And there's always a bit of it's it's not a promotional thing, right? You know, there is a promotion. There's always a free bottle of something if you place an order. And it's it's always just positioned as, oh, we've we've chucked this a bottle of this in your cart for when you're ready. But then they he goes on to talk about what they're up to. Right, talk about where they're investing the angel money, whether they've got any cool new winemakers that they're working with. They're just like nice emails to read. And quite often, because of the extra bottle of whatever, I go and <laughs> I go and place an order for it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Just before we finish off, actually, is there anyone in the DTC marketing space you'd want to have lunch with? I was thinking about this. I love this question. Um, I think I do a I do a roundtable dinner, and I would okay. actually I've met I've met all these people online, but I've never met them in person. So we'd love to have have you obviously there. Ben Jabari from Privy, Adam Kitchen, Jeremy Horowitz, and then I would have it hosted by Future Commerce. If you get if you guys don't know who Future Commerce is, you need to go look them up. Brian Lange and Philip Philip Jackson. It's an amazing you know a series of content that they put out, podcasts, a lot of thought leadership, and they post amazing dinners as well. Then a few of them with, with Attentive and, and some of the partners that we have, but I would love to have them host a discussion and, and have everyone I just mentioned there. I think it'd be a really great time to learn more about e-commerce and just just kind of generally just kind of talk about all the things that we've been talking about here and more. So I'm always a nerd for this stuff and I love sharing knowledge and learning from others. I, I just learn a lot from having conversations. So that would be my list, but it's by no means exhaustive. It's a pretty good list. Yeah, I do. I do look forward to more kind of actual in-person conversations because yeah like you I've, I've met so many people online over the last couple of years had some amazing discussions but just can't can't meet them and of, often it's because people like you halfway across the world sure um, yeah but I, I at one point or another I'm sure we'll cross paths and you know also I think you know it's, it's just generally like to your point I think like you know we've we've yeah COVID has definitely kind of created a little bit of a, you know, kind of barrier, I think, between actually in-person meeting. And I'm really excited to actually get back out and start meeting with people again. It's um, such a missed opportunity, I think, in this space. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Very finally, have you got a couple of marketing tools that you recommend or any any tools that you use on a day-to-day basis? I'm a big pen and paper person. I know that sounds ridiculous, okay. but I, I just think that uh, I forget things a lot if I don't write it down and commit it to memory. So I know that's probably one of the oldest marketing tools in the book, but also just having a good, you know, kind of system for organization. I use monday.com. I used Asana in the past. So those are two things that we keep kind of, you know, balanced and honest with myself. And then Google, Google suite of, you know, docs, sheets, yeah, I'm pretty pretty basic on that, but those three like get me through the day, and I really you know try to keep it as as minimal as possible. But you know when I was on the, the agency side, that was a whole different conversation. So, yeah, yeah, I'm similar. I've got a pile of post-it notes next to me. Uh, it's it's the Google Suite, and I use ClickUp. Actually, discovered them then this year, which is which is really good. It's kind of finally one that's uh, like taking things to the next level for me. I used to use Trello, but I found it a bit a little bit limited. I think. Yeah. I've heard that as well. 
Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, this has been amazing stuff. Thank you so much. If people want to reach out, find out more, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, LinkedIn uh, slash Blake and Pearl. I'm really active there, so we'll get in touch with me personally. If you're interested in learning about Attentive, just go to attendantmobile.com. We have a lot of great free resources just for you to learn about SMS in general. So highly take advantage of that. Um, and the last thing I'll say too, if you're curious about best in class SMS examples, Google text we love. That's this resource that our marketing team put out. And we've compiled literally every single possible use case of SMS for you to learn from and, and kind of get some good examples. So those are all the places that I would say to get in touch with. Oh, amazing. I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks so much, Blake. Thanks, Will. I think the really important takeaway from this is that SMS is a conversational platform. Yes, you can and should use the odd promotion, but the real value is in building relationships with your customers, opening up those lines of communication and, and gathering feedback from them. I remember one client I worked with in, in 2021, we launched a conversational SMS and quickly found out that shipping fees were the number one reason customers abandoned the site. So to fix this, when they entered the cut abandonment flow, we offered them an upgrade bundle, which would add some key complementary products to their basket and bump them over that free shipping threshold. Not only did this perform fantastically via SMS, but we then implemented this on the product page itself, boosting AOV on the, on the kind of initial orders there as well. The key point I'm trying to make is that SMS is more than just a revenue channel. You can build relationships with customers, but you can also gather feedback from them and turn that feedback into actions that will generate ongoing revenue for the business. If you'd like to hear more from Blake, go follow him on LinkedIn. He shares loads of great advice about SMS marketing there. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Korsman Jitsa joining me, and we're going to be talking about how you can use automation to help scale your business and avoid some common problems e-commerce businesses face. But until then, keep those customers clicking.